The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single solitary week we come to you with the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And in two weeks, we're going to be coming to you with a very special deal, a very special super special, I want to give it away, but I'm not going to give it away, show where you'll have the opportunity to do something that you need to do anyway at a really seriously deep discount. So um, please uh, make sure that you are tuned in, well, every week, of course, but particularly uh, two weeks from today when you'll get to hear something that people who don't listen to Real Life Real Estate don't get to hear and they don't get to get. So be there for that. In the meantime, I have a couple of great shows for you. Today's program is with one of the most experienced investors, single family investors in particular, in the United States. John Burley has uh, completed more than 2,000 real estate deals, raised literally hundreds of millions of dollars to buy them, and uh, has a system put together for how his business continues to run today that is simply going to amaze you. He is joining us by phone. Welcome, John. Hey, how you doing, Vina? Great to be here. Uh, it is great to have you here. And um, I should mention before I completely forget about it that in a couple of weeks, you are going to be in Ohio. And yeah. Yeah, we're excited about that. It's uh, September the 4th in Columbus and September the 6th in Cincinnati. And you're going to give a presentation, I understand, on how to raise private money, which is a topic that... A lot of people seem to understand a little bit about, <laughs> but everybody needs to understand more about. Yeah, I, I think many people, they, they understand just enough to be dangerous and get themselves in trouble and uh, get people interested, but not get money. If they do get money, not get it anywhere like a professional would get it mm-hmm. as far as the cost and everything else. Mm-hmm. And and really, I mean, you know, we've known each other. Wow. We both started when we were about eight years old. We've known each other a long, long time. <laughs> True story. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it, uh, you know, I, I my background's out of Wall Street, as you know. And so I foundationally and fundamentally look at the business different than virtually anybody I've ever met, literally. Uh, real estate investing is entirely about money, and it has almost nothing to do with real estate. Almost nothing. 
Um, we could be placing money in anything. We choose real estate because, well, like the listeners today and like you and like myself, we're passionate about real estate. We love real estate. It's a great vehicle. It is from my point of view and my opinion, although I, I know I'm biased, it's the best one there is. And the whole thing, the, the challenge that, that I experienced when I started real estate in the early 80s, um, interest rates were 19%. We had to do you know owner finance and carries and sub twos and everything was created real estate back then because interest rates were so high. Is when you figured out how to do a couple deals, you were very quickly out of money or ability to borrow once borrowing was back. And you know whenever I teach, it's the same thing all over the place. People got started even if they had some money and ability to borrow, that quickly gets burned up. And by the time you really know what to do. You don't have any money in the bank won't loan you anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, what I took from my uh, from my Wall Street background is I took the private equity model. And people that aren't familiar with it, there's a lot of different institutions that, that work out of quote-unquote Wall Street. The, the true private equity model is very unique. Only about 2% of all the shops do it. And the reason it's unique is that it's not a fee-based model like virtually everything else Wall Street does. So a lot of people, you know, think Wall Street's there to make their rates return. It's not in the business plan. Their business plan is to generate the most fees possible. The plan is not to make their clients rich. It never was. Mm-hmm. And it's, people are naive that they think it is. Private equity, which is only 2% of all the firms, uh, which you know, I, I learned to cut my teeth in, private equity is unique in that there's an entrance fee, but after that there is no fees. There is no ongoing fees. I don't even charge property management fees. And so in a private equity model, I only get paid if I generate profits. And the more I make for my clients, the more I make. Also, if I lose money, I have to stand there with them. So what happens is the onus is completely different than a normal normal real estate deals that we're used to, whether it's an institutional you know, thing or whether it's a property manager. They're very adversarial relationships. One side's trying to generate as many fees as possible to pay their bills, while the investor is wanting, you know, fees and costs to be as low as possible and profits higher, but that's not what the other side wants. And so it's a very adversarial process. With private equity, literally my goal is to make as much money as I possibly can for my clients, and that's what we teach our students, and the more I make my clients, the more I make. So it puts everybody aligned where they should be, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense, and we've actually had several discussions just sort of, you know, based on caller questions and things like that on real life real estate over the last six months or so about how much of the real estate business pits pits one party against the other, even though they're supposedly working together. Property management being a great example that the the property manager's income is not really in in alignment with the, with the owner's income. So... Uh, it, it- and you and I both know a lot of great property manager people, but the reality is the model is designed what the property manager really wants for their pay. The best thing for them is the worst thing possible for an investor. So the investor wants the property manager to move somebody in fully qualified at above market rent, have them stay for 10 years with no repairs and rent increases every year. Mm-hmm. And what property manager really wants is not that. What they want is for the people to move in, and, you know, six, 90 days, six months, a year later, blow out. Then there's rehab costs, and they get to add 25% to the bill, and there's legal costs, and there's new tenant move-in costs. And every time they generate costs for the investor, they make income. Mm-hmm. Where in our model, every time we generate costs for the investor, we lose money personally. And so it, it's amazing 
when you're aligned with what the investor gets, how much more you both make mm-hmm. because you're now doing the same thing. And I would imagine how much easier it is to attract investors. When they- Absolutely. It, it, yeah, it, it's a completely different model. And, and one thing I get asked all the time is like, well, why doesn't everybody in Wall Street do this? And it's like, well, because they're like most people. They're afraid and they're not that good. Exactly. You got to be good. You got to be good. You got to be good. Yeah, and so we teach people to be not just good. We teach people to be great. We teach them to be in the top 2% to really learn the model. And real estate, you know, so with so people listening, just imagine if you could reframe what you think about real estate. Imagine how easy real estate would be if you had all the money you needed and all the borrowing you needed to buy as many properties as you wanted every month. Your relationship with real estate agents completely changes instantly because now – you're not somebody trying to sell them your pipe dream uh, about signing a contract with no money down. Um, you're like going, yeah, I want to buy five houses this month, and this is the price range we're looking for, and here's the cash and or here's the down payments and the pre-approval loans, and everything's done. We're ready to go. We're 100% real. We will close 100% of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I want to give listeners a little bit more of a perspective on – uh, what your business is, because unusually, you have applied this private equity model not to commercial properties or strip malls or hotels or even apartment buildings, but to single family homes. And my understanding is that your your operation is kind of in multiple places in the country. Yeah, we were. So you know, when when I left, when I sold my 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 uh, my firm and I left the financial planning world in '89 and formed the private equity company. All the guys and gals that I knew that were senior big players in Wall Street that were doing the real estate side, we all knew residential worked and made money. We just also, our egos weren't so big that we realized we didn't fully know the model. So we were aware that we didn't know a lot that we probably needed to know. And the other thing is like, it was just a lot more work. And in those days, there weren't so many zeros in the world. So there wasn't a need for them to go out and do it. In other words, the amount of money they raised, they could place it more easily and with less effort in the commercial side. And they're just working for fees, not for profit, so it made more sense. So, so we all knew that you could buy single-family homes that made 20, 30, 40 caps, you know, rate of return, which would be effectively a cap rate. We all knew that. And we knew that you couldn't do that consistently, certainly on an institutional level and commercial. It was a matter of, of figuring out how to make it work. So the first couple of years – being, I mean, there was a lot of learning because I remember going to all the landlord trainings I could find in the country and then figuring out that, wow, okay, basically what you're teaching me how to do is to hose the investor. The problem is I'm the investor. <laughs> Your model is figuring out every way you can generate more fees to screw the investor. You know, that's how I was taking it. I'm not saying they're all screwing investors, but they're trying to generate their fees, and it was the exact adverse of my model because property management, you know, Everybody thinks it's 8 or 10%. Property manager is not 8 or 10%. It's 8 to 10% to the property manager, plus about 25% in ongoing costs through the course of, of several years. The property manager is more like 35%, which is just a huge portion of the return. And, and so what we had to focus on was looking for – so I was looking for a huge competitive edge. And it was obviously the single-family home could get me a much higher rate of return if I could work the systems out and the model out to make it efficient and run similar to a commercial – and, and where that came in was obviously is we went to the volume to where we could systematize. So, you know, 
we have many, many students who just do 10, 20, 30, 40 houses. They have enough income for, the, for decades, so they just stop. But lots of our students go on and become what we call Century Club members, which is where they have over 100 homes in portfolio because they're able to raise lots of money, so they were to buy easily. And then we, we have these large portfolios. So we were able to make them very efficient. We made up a new – we had to make up a new model of how this was done. Taking the stuff I knew from Wall Street and the private equity side on the commercial and then just translating it over to residential. Mm-hmm. Um, it was easier to buy, much, much less competition. And I literally went out 20 years um, ahead of my brethren because, as you guys know, everybody knows now, Wall Street in 9, 10, 11, 12 – entered with a voracious appetite into the residential. And the reason is there was just so many zeros in the amount of money they raised today that they ran out of places to place their money. And so they went to that. Also, not surprisingly, five of the biggest firms paid me very, very large consulting fees because they knew, they know me from the past and, you know, I've remained friends with them to show them our model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, very good. We we need to take a quick break. When we come back, first, I want to get, because you do a huge number of deals and because you have properties all over the country, I want to get your perspective on what you think is going on in the market right now and what do you, what you think might happen over the next six months to a year that might make it not just a good thing to be able to raise money, but maybe a necessary thing to raise money. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're here today with John Burley. You can send your questions to 877-772-9658. Now, you wouldn't send your questions to 877-772-9658. I'm going to see a bunch of people trying to text the 800 number now. Uh, you would call in your questions to 877-772-9658, or you can uh, send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Mr. John Burley, who is uh, yeah, he's a guy who occasionally goes out and <laughs> speaks to real groups and teaches classes, ours in Cincinnati being one of them, thank goodness. Uh, but he's a, he's, a, he's a guy with just enormous amounts of experience in a number of different things. He's, you know, he's raised money, he's done the private equity thing, he's bought properties, worked out systems for managing them, even though they are scattered site, uh, both in the sense of their single family and the sense that they're in different places in the country. So any questions about any of those things would uh, be good questions to ask today. 877-772-9658 is the phone number. Askvina at gmail.com is the um, email address. Uh, so, John, before we before we jump into the, you know, how do you raise the money, that sort of thing, something appears to be going on in the market right now, and it it might be, in, you know, different. It might be different in different parts of the country, but the the foreclosure rate went up for the first time in years this last month. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. hearing retailers say that their properties are staying on the market significantly longer than they did even six months ago, that they're not getting the five above price offers the first day, that some of them are actually experience, having to experiencing price drops for the first time in like three years. Do you have any insight based on the fact that you've got places all over the country on what might be happening now and in, say, the next year? Yeah, absolutely, Dina. It, you know, one of the benefits of starting so long ago, and I started in uh, 1981. I was 20 years old. So, I mean, it, it's with 38 years now. So it's a long time. 
uh, 37 years, I guess. And one thing that really helps is, is, as you know, as a veteran, is having historical um, perspective. Having been through the ups and been through the downs gives them perspective. I think, you know, everybody listening, here's the thing you really want to hold on to. And this applies to all your life. We're going to talk about real estate and money right now. When your emotions go up, your intellect goes down, and you get hosed. So I'll say it again. When your emotions go up, your intellect goes down. These markets, the stock market, the real estate markets, and there's about a 1,000 major to mid-markets in the United States, and they don't all move the same way at the same time. They do lots of different things. Is the bigger the move, the more the emotion in the market. And so we need to stay clear and objective of what's happening. Have a fundamental and a foundational system for trading that allows you to make money in all markets. I get asked all the time, I'm sure you do, Bina, well, have you heard of so-and-so? He's a new guy, and he's teaching this stuff, and he's really exciting. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I've seen lots of new guys. Get back to me a couple years after the next crash and tell me how a new guy did. Because I really don't <laughs> care what new guy says until I know a new guy knows how to thrive in a crash. Because anybody can make money when it's going good. only thing that matters is can you make money when it's going down or sideways. You know, my perspective is a little different as the founder and the CEO of a, of a very large private equity company. Look, my job, my main job, my sole objective as far as my investors are concerned is to preserve and protect the capital. In plain English, don't lose any money. Mm-hmm. It's not to be greedy and do the next wild scheme. So we do very, very safe, very, very secure very long-term investing. I take care of my knees, and my students take care of their knees because we have a $10,000 fee per property when we buy, so we have our money to eat. We don't need to flip tomorrow morning. Um, you know, as far as the market right now, there's going to be volatility. Now, most of the markets have gone up much slower than they did the last crash, and crashes are always coming. The next one's just, just a matter of how long. Normal markets cycle every 8 to 14 years. One of the reasons the last crash was severe is it punched out in most markets. We were about 20 years since there had been a downturn. So it had gone really high, and everybody got in the feeding phrase in the end. So it's again, you those emotions went berserk. I can't miss out. I can't miss out. i got to get in. Financing went crazy, and they let people buy that shouldn't be able to buy or buy way more than they could ever realistically afford. And then when it corrected, it massively overcorrected because then again, it was just more emotions. So the main thing is, you know, we're not set up for, historically for those sort of big moves, but we are set for a downturn. I think in the next six months to two years, most, not all markets, will see a 10 to at most 30% downturn. If you're doing strategies that inherently have far more risk, i.e. flipping, wholesaling, rehabbing, retailing out properties that you've rehabbed, you're exposed to more market risk than a long-term player. Far more. There's no way around it. It's always been the riskiest. It always will be the riskiest because you can't control that emotion in the market. If you're long-term and, and you figure out how to monetize up front, which is what we had to do decades ago, because like, like, just like you know, some people listening, look, I need to make some of the money now. I'd like to have the long-term deals, but I, I got to eat today. I got to pay my bills today, and that's where I was too. So we did the fee, which is what I learned from Wall Street. We structured it so it was you know um, morally, legally, ethically, properly done. You know, we structure everything exactly how it is. We'll be teaching that when we're out, you know, in Ohio, mm-hmm. and so we took care of the eating money. And then we looked at, first of all, what does our investor want? They wanted long-term, not short-term, and I wanted to remove risk. So in, in a lot of markets, if your market's really high and it's up there, 
when you're buying, you want to be buying where it makes money no matter what. So our average house right now, we make a little over $600 a month positive cash flow after all expenses. It really doesn't matter if the property drops 30% or 50% because I don't need to sell. Mm-hmm. And my cash flow doesn't change. That makes sense, Fina? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, as you know, I mean, we, we had, you know, I found the private equity company in 89. So when the markets, you know, really melted in 89, and here in Arizona where our home office is, where I live, we fell 50 to 70% across the board, far more than most of the country. I had a few properties, but not many underwater because the market forced me out of a lot of acquisitions just because the prices didn't work anymore. The, the, the spreads weren't there. Uh-huh. But 90% of the people that were in my properties, they did absolutely nothing. See, I'd never, I didn't let them buy a $500,000 house when they could only afford two hundred. I only let them, the people who moved into my home, they only got to move into a home they could afford. Not the home that if they got their credit 20 points better, the bank would give them. I only let them buy what they could afford. So they weren't in a toxic loan. And they were underwater, but they could afford their monthly payments. So what most people did who could afford their monthly payments during the last big crash is they did absolutely nothing. They went to work. They came home. They grumbled. They watched the news. They grumbled a little more. They drank the beverage of their choice. They grumbled <laughs> a little more, and then they went to bed. The country was just kind of grumpy and cranky for a few years. People who had speculated and done, and done deals that were not wise, that were done emotionally, they were improper, they got eaten alive. This next downturn, I don't think you're going to get eaten alive, but there's certainly going to be a lot of hurt out there for people who don't know what they're doing. I mean, I'd make sure you – if you don't know what you're doing right now, I'd make sure you do. Mm-hmm. And then obviously during the downturns, if you keep your emotion out, you've got far better deals available. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that, you know, things that we can look for is when the market's turned down, um, the banks run scared really fast, meaning they stop lending really, really quick. And you've got to look at senior management of banks right now. So most people who are senior managers were middle management in, uh, in 1988 to 91 when the a big crash occurred. They were upper management in the 2006 to 9, and now they're senior, senior management. So they've, they've, they've been wiped out twice before because they overextended and they went beyond what the bank should have been doing. And most of the ones that I know, um, I have a really good friend who's the number five guy at Wells Fargo, they ain't doing it again. They ain't going down that path. They're not going to blow up their pensions one more time. And so we've got lending a lot more conservative in most of the country, which is good because it's going to keep the emotions down, keep the market from overexploding, but also is going to mean your ability to put your hands on cash when everybody else is panicking and can't will be the most valuable tool that you have, the ability to raise coin, to make money come in. Completely agreed. I I have never regretted any any property I bought in 98 to 02, which was a period during which we had a recession. And what what happens in a recession is that motivated sell, you still still aren't going to buy the pretty retail properties that are in perfect shape at a price that you're happy with because homeowners will snatch up those bargains. But the, the sellers who are motivated, who are approaching a, a foreclosure sale or a tax sale or inherit, they, they have an ugly house of some sort. They get a lot more motivated because the buyers get pickier. And it, it's, exactly. it's those that, that become the bargain properties. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that in Cincinnati, if you took the ugly houses out of the picture, the pretty houses during that period probably lost five to ten percent of their value, 
but the numbers yeah. looked much worse because the bargain hunters were out there picking up the properties from the motivated sellers at a fraction of what they'd been able to do when the market was going great. Absolutely. And, and when I look at economist numbers, first of all, an economist is, is kind of like an accountant. They're not the cavalry. They're not, they don't come over the hill with the trumpets blazing to save the day. They come over the hill to count the bodies. <laughs> um, and, and then they, and then after the fact, they try and give you the reason why it happened. Sometimes they're really close. Sometimes they're way, way off, and they don't invest for a living. You know, and the thing we always remember is like, look, we're like you're referring to, we're buying the micro, not the macro. I don't want to buy all of Cincinnati. I just want to buy the homes that meet my model, my criteria, you know, my areas, and I'm going to buy all the ones I can there that make sense. And, and just the big thing, yeah, and it's just. I want to convey to the listeners, look, if you're really serious about this business, you need to up your craft. You need to get your game better. You can't imagine what it's like to be able to buy literally all that you want to take on because that's what you can do when you learn how to raise money. We've raised a little over $600 million. We've bought thousands and thousands of properties. Mm-hmm. Um, we've invested in 12 different states. We've invested in two different countries. When the markets are easy, meaning they're down, because of the crash, we buy more. As they get higher, we buy less. So we let the market dictate that. And then with that said, always the micro within the macro. You can go to the hottest market in the world. If you know what you're doing, you can find deals. You just have to work more, and you won't find as many. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So if if there's somebody out there who's been, um, they've been thinking that maybe I need to get some private money, because I'm hearing that maybe things are starting to turn around a little bit. Would now be a good time to approach potential investors and say, I'm expecting there to be bargains. I'm expecting the the market to go down. And I need to know if you've got money that you'd like to put into those. Should it happen or should they wait until the market crashes? I, I like uh, – we're raising money actively right now, Vina, because, again, we're buying the micro. I can always buy great deals. Also, most of my good investors, they actually do three different tranches. They do – this is our startup money that we're going to give you, you know, and that may be a couple hundred thousand, you know, to much more than that. And then the second level is, okay, we've got a bunch of brokerage money, and we've also got – Pension money. And, and and keep in mind, you want to be careful. There, there's different vocabulary you use with, with people. People have money. The IRA, you know, look, unless they go to the RIAs, they don't know the power of the IRA self-directed. They don't know about it. They've heard about it a little bit. And the IRA contribution is just token chump change to them. They're in pension plans and retirement plans, some of which, you know, in today's world, you can literally put a, you can still put away 100% of your salary. I mean, you know, and I do have clients who put over half a million dollars a year into pension. So when you talk about an IRA contribution, they, they don't get it. We get it. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. We're going to convert it. Uh, and the, the, just the key to keep in mind is every deal we buy is good and makes money today based on our criteria and our rate of return. If they're in and active with you today, when the market goes down, they're going to have a whole lot less of the fear factor going on because you already made them money, and now the deals are just better, and you'll make them even more money. The problem is by waiting six months or two years, and, and first of all, the, the, the real challenge is we don't know if it's six months or two years. It could be 10 years. It could be tomorrow morning. Um, we don't know. 
And so what I don't want to do is wait because then when the emotions go up and the markets go down, money gets very fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and fearful money is very hard to place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Um, we need to take a quick break. Uh, I do want to invite listeners again to send any questions that they have either to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. Or to give us a call, we've got a number of questions piled up here in the email box. And so if you want to make sure that your question gets answered, you're going to dial 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Burley. And we're talking about, uh, well, a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) We're talking about... Uh, the market. We're talking about what to do when the market turns. We're talking about private money. We're talking about um, having a great big real estate business. And we're taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Now, John, I have a question here via email uh, from another John, (laughs) from somebody else named John who says, I understand that John is a big advocate of raising money up front from a business plan before actually going and pursuing properties. Can he talk about how this approach contrasts with going out and trying to get financing for a particular deal? Yeah, great point. And I really think, so when you look at how real businesses run, successful businesses, they don't run like we were all taught how to do real estate. I mean, how we are taught to do real estate is basically you put the cart before the horse. In other words, we're taught, go try and find a great deal and then see if you can find the money. You know, and, and it's seminar land, and we've all been to the Too Good to Be True seminars. Vina doesn't run those, but we've all been to those. Where, you know, they're like, oh, if you find a deal, the money just comes to your kid. Don't worry about it. It'll happen every time. No, it doesn't. And imagine if McDonald's followed that model. So here's the deal. We're going to go out and see if we can lowball some hamburger. Then we're going to see if we can get some owner financing on some special sauce. We're going to then kind of subject to the lettuce. We're going to try and buy all, try and arrange all these components without having money. You would just look at a regular business owner like they were crazy if they talked about trying to go into business without any money. They would be crazy, and we would all know they were crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we just described what's taught at real estate seminars every day around this country. It's crazy. It is not how business works. Look, it's hard enough as it is. We all know the numbers. You know, the most optimistic numbers tell us that 80 to 90% of all businesses fail within five years. Most real estate investors don't even acknowledge they're in business. So their failure rate is even more atrocious. Look, a real business, and that's what I teach people to do, form a real company, a real business. A real business raises the money First, first thing is great idea. Second thing is raise your money first. Third thing is have a system to monetize. In other words, a way to get paid up front. We do 10000 per property. We get paid up front when we bring an investor on. And then the fourth is to run it like a real business, implement the systems to make it run and work and grow. Mm-hmm. If you're not raising the money first, do you have a real business? And if not, then what are you doing being a real estate investor if you won't even treat it like a real company? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of folks, I guess, who come out of those classes or who just sit around and think thoughts about real estate, think that you got to have a deal to present to your investor. 
that that you know who's who's going to want to work with me if I'm just saying give me some money so I can go find something as opposed to here's here's a property you can go look at it and, and sniff and I don't think your investors probably do that. Most of my investors have never seen any of the properties. Why would they bother? I mean, people buy stock in Microsoft all day long. Nobody flies to Seattle to check it out. It's not how people invest. So I learned from the best of the best. Um, the people I worked with in the 80s were making a million, two million dollars a year in commissions, raising money. They knew exactly what they were doing. We have a very specific talk. I call it talking points. There's seven talking points. We go through it. And again, you need to understand people make their decisions emotionally and then defend them with logic after, not before. People do not logically buy your spreadsheet. We do not go out and tout the investor. Look, if I've got a house sitting that I want to bring an investor in, then that's fine. I can do that. But that's not the best way. The best way is I have a presentation, which is custom tailored, which I do, that goes through and hits the points they need emotionally to free their money up and make the decision to invest. Then we place it in the investment that makes sense. And they all make sense because we're on the same side of the fence. I only make money if they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for people who are just going like, oh, no, that's not how it works. How much money have you raised? <laughs> how is your current plan working? It, it always amazes and I do the same thing. We all do this in our lives, personally and professionally. We defend to the death models that do not work. Uh-huh. Or that we don't work, we don't know works. because we've never tried them. Right. I mean, if you don't have money pouring in, then obviously your model doesn't work. Good point. Um, um we have a we have another email here from Crystal who says I'm wondering if John does, has any pre-qualification criteria for presenting to or working with any given investor, and if there's anything that would cause him to not pursue a relationship with a particular investor. Wow, Crystal, great question. And yes. So first of all, I learned a long time ago in sales, we choose our clients. And if you have clients you don't like, well, you chose them, fire them, or put up with them, but stop complaining. None of us want to hear it. So for ourselves today, when I was new, Crystal, pretty much anybody in my sphere of influence, structured as a non-security, um, friends and family member that had money to down payment money for a house, two houses, three houses early in my career, pretty much all of those, unless they were just really rude and obnoxious, I would let come on. And it was literally that. I'm not taking their money. I'm placing their money. I'm letting them come on. You know, today, fast forward, thousands of properties hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars today other than really really close friends or family sphere of influence we only work with accredited investors um our smallest bring in today is two hundred fifty thousand, and that's if they're going to leverage so they'd be putting you know most cases 20 25 percent down um and many of our investors today seven hundred fifty thousand million and a half is the first step and I'll, I'll be teaching you in ohio here exactly how to get those investors how to choose a better clientele and bring them in um so you set up your own criteria who you want to work with. I've known from experience that the, the, we use stereotypes because they're true. I know today politically we're not supposed to do that anymore, but I don't care. We use stereotypes that they're true. The most pain in the rear end investors are the small ones who are broke. So don't bring them in. The ones that are usually the easiest to work with is the ones that are very rich. Hmm. That's exactly the opposite of what everybody thinks you know. I understand that, and I love that that's what they think. (laughs) 
Okay. So, so <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big contrarian, I'm a big contrarian. Uh, and if you look at all the really successful, mega successful people, um, the ones that are worth hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, almost all of them are extreme contrarians. There's a reason why. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So question here from Mike. He says. Uh, can you explain to me what is happening with these properties? He mentioned that some of them were sold to the buyers. I'm not clear on whether his business model is renting, lease optioning, retailing, or something else. Yeah, so um, we do a couple different things, Mike. We used to do a lot of, we call them agreement for sales, land contracts, installment contracts. Pre-2014 Dodd-Frank, we did a lot of those. We don't do those very often in that manner because of Dodd-Frank, which is what the previous administration put in place. It, it really put a hamper in home ownership and owner financing. Um, we do mainly today, we do a lease with a 10-year option, and we set them up to win. I know there's a lot of people who do lease options who really teach you how to put people in who will never be able to own the home. I sure wouldn't want to have to go to heaven and explain that one, um, and I'm not going to. We, we've had well over a thousand people cash us out. We put them in uh, a property in a format that works because of the law that the last administration passed. We don't do 30-year installment contracts anymore. We do a 10-year option. Uh-huh. And Google, what happens at the, end, at the end of 10 years? You make a common sense business decision. You renew and let them stay. You don't renew and let them stay. You raise the price and let them stay. You make a common sense business decision for your own business. Mm-hmm. So, is their price question, is their price fixed throughout that ten years? Absolutely. And are there is yeah. any part of their option payment being applied to the principal? We have people do it and people not do it. I'm in a, a very very high scrutiny Dodd Frank state, and the scrutiny is not by the federal government. There are two law firms in this state that actively are going after investors for Dodd Frank abuses. Uh, the penalty for a Dodd Frank abuse, this is national, is all the upfront money in three years worth of payments, even if they've only been there for two months. That's the penalty locked in stone. So we are not in the state of Arizona offering rent credits and. When we first did it, you know, when we, we implemented this back in July 13, six months before Dodd-Frank went live, and my team, you know, was freaking out, so I went out with them, you know, and we did them. And what we found is for over 90% of the people, they didn't care. So they were all excited that, wow, it doesn't matter, we can still do it. I, of course, was going, yeah, and I gave $2.8 million in cashed-out options at close of escrows I didn't need to give. That was my take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The owner looking at it different than the employee, obviously. So you're not doing you're not doing rent credits because you're afraid those could get adju- it could get adjudicated that they're actually buying equitable interest and therefore the lease options would be subject to Dodd Frank laws. Yeah, the the, uh, the the in there. So options are specifically not included in Dodd Frank, um, where the, a good attorney and there's two firms that are very good at it here. They attempt to make the construed sale argument. And in this state, I just don't want to screw with it. Now, in other states, do we give the option credit? Yes. Different legal environment, different states. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which uh, and is... I think most people in Ohio would be giving the option credit. And your state's been, although you've got some stuff, they're really just consumer crazy over there, like every state. Um, your state and your part of the country has been incredibly laissez-faire on the whole Dodd-Frank thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, everything you just said is a reason that I think it's a huge mistake for experienced investors to not attend REA meetings, go to conferences, 
talk to other investors, get under, understand what's happening in the market because 2014 was a seismic change for uh, people who sell on land contracts, people who sold mobile homes on and carried back the paper. I mean, it, it, it truly shook up the whole industry. And I am still running into people who've been in this business for 20 years who don't even understand what they're supposed to be doing. They just, they're just, they just continue to do what they were doing before yeah. 2014. And the reality, you know, look, the other law firms have been watching closely the success in the model of the law firms here in Arizona that are doing it is the reality is if they know if they find one creatively financed Dodd-Frank violation, you probably have a whole bunch. They simply do an asset search on all your properties, and they reach out and contact all your residents and ask them if they'd like a big, fat check for mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they come to you and, and try and get you to write a rather large check, in which case you go, damn, I wish I had gotten that that, that uh, insurance, that that." umbrella policy that my insurance guy kept trying to tell me, but the seminar guy says it makes you a target. <laughs> it's not your money. You don't care if it's a target. Yeah, it's and, not your money. And this is this whole thing is probably a, a bigger concern in, in places like Phoenix where a middle-end home that would be sold on a land contract is probably a $250,000 plus home than it might be in Akron, Ohio, where it's a $70,000 house and there's much less for there's much less to recover. I, I imagine that one of the reasons that Arizona is uh, is feeling that heat less than Ohio is is because, you know, how hard is an attorney going to work to retrieve three years' worth of $400 payments? Right. Yeah. And the, the main thing here was the individual. I've known the guy for a number of years. I've made sure to – and I let him know, you know, to do the old ad, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh-huh. Uh, I even paid. I even paid him to uh, review the contract that I was sure would get around of his issues. Nice, uh, which, which he agreed on the stage a few different times. Uh, <laughs> it, it just, it, it's just learning to dot the eyes across the teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I think for a lot of people, it's like, look, I had to do it. I just did it faster. You had to do it. Everybody we know who's a really successful had to do it. At some point, we all needed to grow up a little bit and start running it like a business. Mm-hmm. And, and not just shooting from the hip and and not just believing everything we heard at a seminar blindly. Because um, I know stuff that's done at seminars that, look, you and I know the person teaching it, they could get away with it. And they would relish the fight with whatever agencies. But for the rest of us, that's not what you want to do with your life. <laughs> yes, yeah, so true. Okay, so this question is from Dave, who's in Chicago he says, I'm curious what sort of legal structure John had to set up in order to raise this money up front. Is it set up as an LLC or something else? Are there disclosures? Is the SEC involved? Hey, Dave, up in Chicago, great town. Uh, super question. There are several models that we use. The first and primary model that most people use is they choose a joint venture agreement, which if there's three or few, three or fewer parties, and you're dealing with your sphere of influence, i.e. friends and family, people you know. In other words, you're not soliciting to the general public. You're not soliciting people you don't know. You're soliciting to your sphere of influence. Doing a JV, no more than three people. That is the model that most people follow and most people definitely start with. I, I can't give a securities advice. I'm not a securities attorney, but most would agree with you that we're outside of securities with that. Um, and you form, most people today, a few states it varies, but most people form an LLC in the state where they're going to be doing business. 
Uh, you set up a management company that you own, and then the management company manages the investments, and then you have an LLC separately for each investor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can go from there, and we've gone all the way to doing a mutual fund. It was overseas. They call it a managed fund and everything in between. Um, you know, you, if you do a 504, 505, 506, very, very similar model. We're just now having to do some regs for the SEC. We're having to pay for a different level of documents. Um, to done right, they're 8 to 12. I mean, hey, look, you don't do real documents on the Internet with a company like Legal Doom. <laughs> you, you hire a real securities attorney, and you pay a real securities tournament attorney to draft real documents for you. Um, and, and, you know, so you're there. But the JV models where most people start is where most people stay. We have many, many um, Century Club members with hundreds of properties who never raised money institutionally. Um, if you're working with institutions, you know, three people are exempt from, you still have to have securities compliance, but they're exempt from securities protection other than fraud. That would be foreign national investors, registered investment advisors, and accredited investors who have been fully vetted. Um, institutions that we work with, they're all RIAs, and therefore, you know, we have to still do the docs, but they're exempt from protection except for fraud. And avoiding fraud is really easy. Don't promise anything ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm some pretty sophisticated questions out of the audience today. I love it. It's almost like they saw your name and went, ooh, I've got a really hard question that I need to ask somebody who would actually know. I love the hard <laughs> come, come on down and see us when we're, when we're out in Ohio. I love hard questions. And seriously, for those of you that come to the evening programs on the Saturday, I stay as late as you guys want to do. Uh, you, you remember the year we oh, yeah, I literally closed the room every night. I was down there at midnight, one in the morning, answering student questions. You were. You got questions? Yeah, that's true. I always do that. I was new, but I was new too. And I remembered how frustrating it was people saying, I'll answer that question later. And then they never did. And then as soon as they were done with their talk, they blew out of the room and didn't come back. <laughs> I remember that. I was new too, guys. Yeah. And I vowed, you know, I never thought I'd do education, but when I started to do education, I vowed I would never be that guy. I would always stay and answer questions as long as you had them. Because I remembered being frustrated and really needing help and no one would give it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to give listeners who are interested in coming and seeing you either in Cincinnati or Columbus in a couple of weeks uh, information about how to do that. And I'm going to unilaterally, without even asking the board, say that listeners who show up and say and say that you heard about it on Real Life Real Estate can come to the meeting without paying a guest fee. So... The the uh, you, the uh, uh, if you want to come see John in Cincinnati, which would be September the sixth, go to CincinnatiRia dot com. CincinnatiRia dot com. Just RSVP. If you're first time guest, it's it's free anyway. But if you are a repeat guest, uh, show up at the door and tell them that Vina said you could come in for free, and then they can yell at me later. Uh, if you want to come to Columbus, the address, the uh, email, the website is centralohioria.com, and same situation. And John, I know you're going to have a lot more time to do like an organized. Here's how it works. Here's what you need to do type of presentation than we're we're able to do in a radio interview. But I do very much appreciate you coming on today and uh, sharing your huge breadth of knowledge with our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate the offer for the people listening. And just so you know, those evening programs, I will walk you through step-by-step step the exact talk I use today to raise money. Step-by-step. Oh, awesome. step. 
I will give you the talking points verbatim exactly how I use them. Awesome. Again, CincinnatiRIA.com or CentralOhioRIA.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.